Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. Okay, now children, you may be dismissed to worshipers in training. Uh, and the rest of the congregation, you may be seated. Let's turn to the Lord one more time and ask for his help this morning. Lord, we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. My prayer is simple this morning. Would you feed us? Feed us from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, few things can be as confusing as nutrition advice. Like, what are we actually supposed to eat? If you remember back in the 1980s and even some of the 90s, right, it was like the low-fat fad. All the packaged foods kind of boasted of their fat-free labels, and that somehow, somehow all that seems to have given rise to the total opposite approach. Now it's carbs. Carbs were the bad guy, and now we have all this low-carb advertising today, and everyone's talking about net carbs, whatever that means. There's also the so-called plant-based diet. That is a diet that is completely absent of any sort of animal products whatsoever, praised for its allegedly life-saving properties. Meanwhile, at the same time, there is growing adherence to the carnivore diet. That is a diet that is composed entirely of meat and nothing else, like not even fruits and vegetables. And some claim that it is nothing short of the fountain of youth. Now, I should give a disclaimer here. I'm not an expert in any of these. Uh, I'm not a doctor. Talk to your doctor before you go on a diet plan. Uh, I can tell you right now, uh, if you are my age or older and you talk to my doctor, he's going to tell you to eat oatmeal. Not only are we confused about what we ought to be eating, we're really confused as to when we ought to be eating it. I mean, I grew up being taught that breakfast was the most important meal of the day, but now it's all about intermittent fasting and going as long as you can without eating so that you can focus better and, of course, you know, lose weight along the way. But if there's one nutritional adage that has withstood the test of time, it's this. You are what you eat. I think we kind of know that intuitively. Regardless of which one of these things you kind of pick, we just kind of know that what we ingest, what we eat, has a profound impact on who we are. And really that saying goes all the way back to the early 1800s. 
It actually originates with a French lawyer and politician of all people whose name I cannot pronounce, but he said it like this. This was the first instance of you are what you eat. It was actually said like this. He said, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. Only he said it in French and I don't know French, so I can't say it like that. Tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. Friends, I think there's an even deeper reality that goes beyond what we eat. Even when we're talking about like those diets, right? Like all of those diets and fads, like there's a reason why all of them work and none of them do. I have a suspicion, again, not an expert, but I have a suspicion that all of them work. When they work, they work in the same way, essentially by limiting caloric intake in some way. You're reducing some kind of food, so you're eating less calories, and so you lose weight and feel better. That's why they work. But that's also why, for so many people, they don't work. In fact, for so many people, none of them seem to work, because at the end of the day, there's this thing called hunger that comes calling. And our hunger, our cravings actually have an even more profound impact on who we are. I think it might be more accurate to say, tell me what you hunger for, and I will tell you what you are. Or maybe it would even be best to say, tell me what you hunger for, and I will tell you what you will become. Look, obviously, I don't just mean this at the level of our caloric intake. That is true about the entirety of our lives. I believe that's what Jesus is saying in this beatitude that we're looking at together this morning. And we shouldn't be too surprised to find Jesus addressing us at the level of who we are. At that very base, foundational level of just who we are and what we become. Because after all, right here in these Beatitudes, these opening statements of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a picture, his picture, his vision of what human, true human flourishing and happiness looks like. And this is how he defines it in this Beatitude. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And if I could paraphrase for that this morning, which we've been doing all throughout this series, just every week kind of taking a shot at a paraphrase of each beatitude, what Jesus is basically saying is that those who deeply desire to do the will of God, those, those are the ones who are truly happy because God will give them what they desire. That is what Jesus is communicating to us here in this beatitude, that those who deeply desire to do the will of God, to do what God wants, those are the ones who are truly happy because God will actually give them what they desire. And listen, friends, the great thing about this this morning is that this can be true. No matter how untrue that might feel for you in this moment, the good news is that this can be true for every single one of us this morning. Jesus is inviting each and every one of us here into this picture of the truly blessed life. 
Again, you might be wondering, how do you get all that from that simple beatitude? Well, I want to show that to you by simply focusing on four words this morning, four words from this beatitude. The first one is righteousness. And I think that's a word that can kind of trip, trip us up a little bit. I wonder right now if I could ask you, like, how would you define righteousness? Some of us, I guess, probably don't have a, maybe even a good guess. Some of us might have a pretty good grasp on what it means, but the tricky thing is it doesn't always mean the exact same thing every time it comes up in the Bible. So what kind of righteousness is Jesus talking about here when he's giving us a picture of those who hunger and thirst for it? Well, at the very heart of righteousness is the idea of what is right. That might seem kind of easy, right? Like the word right is right there in the word righteousness. So righteousness is what is right. Specifically in the Bible, righteousness is what is right in God's eyes, what God sees as right. But it still means different things in different contexts. Sometimes there's this thing that's kind of like a, like a societal righteousness, that has to do with like how groups and, and systems and laws and even nations treat each other. In the, in the Old Testament, this word righteousness, when it's being used like that, it's often paired with the word justice. You see those two words together a lot in the Old Testament, righteousness and, and justice. In fact, in the New Testament, sometimes this exact same Greek word for righteousness here is actually translated as justice. It's one way of thinking about righteousness. Of course, there's an entirely different way, a significant way, a huge way that has to do with our right standing before God. I think this is probably the way that we typically think about righteousness. We think about our justification, our being declared righteous before God. How is it that we can actually stand before God and be declared right in his eyes? Listen, I want to be clear, when it comes to our right standing before God, when it comes to our being seen as right in God's eyes, the Bible teaches, consistently teaches that it is never based on our own righteousness. It's never based on our own performance, our own abilities, our own moral goodness and, and purity. It's never based on that. In fact, listen, I want to, even though this isn't the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about, I want to just camp out for a moment and make sure that you fully understand this because this is, this is so foundational to Christianity itself. Listen, if you believe, at the end of the day, if you believe that God is just basically wanting you to be a good person, and if you are a good person, then God will accept you. I really want you to know, I need you to know this morning, that is not Christianity. Like, not even close. When it comes to your own personal standing before God, the Bible is very clear that nobody is good enough. Nobody is good enough to get God to look at you all on your own, all unto yourself, and in his eyes say, yes, you are righteous. I declare you to be in good standing before me. And listen, everything that we've been seeing so far in the Beatitudes confirms that. Remember how this whole thing opens? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who know they have nothing to bring on their own. Church, that is why we believe and trust 
and cherish the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we sing about the gospel and we sing because of the gospel. Because God sent his son in order to live out a perfectly righteous life. His own life. And then to die on the cross as a payment for our unrighteousness. And for anyone. Listen, anyone even right here this morning. Anyone listening to the sound of my voice, at, even at this very moment, anyone who puts their faith and trust in Christ, God declares you to be righteous in his eyes. Not based on you, but based entirely on Christ. Listen, church, that is good news And if you have not done that, I would urge you this morning, that is the most important thing that you need to hear from me this morning, and that is the most important thing that you need to do in your life, is to trust Christ. And that is one of the primary ways the Bible talks about righteousness, but one of the challenges that we sometimes have when we read the word righteousness in the Bible, we tend to assume it always means that kind of righteousness. But there is yet another kind of righteousness. It doesn't have to do with our standing before God. It doesn't have to do with how we are declared righteous before God. It is a righteousness, a a real righteousness that is seen. It's it's visible in a person's life and character. When When a person's thoughts and a person's speech and a person's actions conform to what is right to God. And listen, friends, we can be confident that Jesus, right here in this beatitude, Jesus has that kind of righteousness in mind. Righteousness that is, that is lived out in the person who's already been declared righteous through faith in Christ. Righteousness that is lived out in the life of the disciple of Jesus. And we can be confident because that is, in essence, what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about. If I had to take the entire Sermon on the Mount, not just the Beatitudes, but the entire Sermon on the Mount, and I had to boil the whole thing down into one word, do you know what word I would use? Kingdom. You thought I was going to say righteousness, didn't you? Kingdom. But if I could use two words, if I could use two words to sum up the entire Sermon on the Mount, it would be kingdom Righteousness. Friends, the Sermon on the Mount gives us a picture of what it's like when, the, when a person comes into the kingdom of God, when a person comes under the, the rule and reign of God, and the rule and reign of God comes into a person. This, this kingdom righteousness is the kind of life and, and character that God sees as, as good and beautiful and right for all of those who have come under his kingly and kindly rule, and for all those for whom his king, kingly and kindly rule has come into their lives. And he's going to talk about this all throughout the rest of the sermon. It's the kind of righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees, because it's not just concerned with mere external conformity to rules, but having, having a heart that just wants to live for God, to call good what God calls good, to do what God sees as right, even when, even when no one's looking except for God. Which is why Jesus will talk to us later on about practicing our 
righteousness. Practicing our righteousness, not for others to see, but for God himself to see. He'll even talk about how our own, our own seeking after this kind of righteousness can even free us from, from anxiety. It can free us from the love of money. And the righteousness that Jesus puts forward in this vision of human flourishing is simply doing what God wants or wills. And I think there's part of us, if we're just being honest with ourselves, I think there's part of us that doesn't want that to be what Jesus is talking about. We don't want that actually to be the the kind of righteousness that Jesus is putting forward because we know, we know that our lives don't actually look like that. But that is why it is so important to pay close attention to what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, blessed are those who are righteous. I really need you to hear that this morning. He's not saying, blessed are those who are righteous. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the next two words I want us to look at this morning. Words two and three, I want to take them together. Hunger and thirst. I can't help but think that these two words probably carried a bit more weight back then than they do now. I mean, let's be honest. Like, how many of us here have been, like, truly, truly hungry? Like, when we talk about hunger, we really mean, like, what do you have a hankering for, right? Like, after church today, you'll go out to lunch, maybe you'll say, oh, what are you hungry for today? Just, like, what kind of food do you want to eat? Because we've got so much at our disposal. Most of us, or at least many of us, don't know what it really feels like to go without. But back then, I mean, food, water, they were susceptible to spoiled crops and famine and drought and so forth. Now, when Jesus was speaking these words, he was speaking these words to those who knew what it was to genuinely be without, which is a really important picture of what Jesus is actually saying to us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Friends, by definition, by definition, he's talking about something that you do not have. You do not have it, but you, but you want it. In fact, the blessedness of life comes from not having it and wanting it and hungering and thirsting for it. I mean, did you catch that? Like, like so much else in the kingdom of God, everything seems upside down. The key to, the key to blessedness is emptiness. The key to being filled is having nothing of your own, but you want it. Stomach growling, mouth dry for the kind of life that God wants. And listen, obviously, at the most basic sense here, Jesus is speaking metaphorically. He's talking about the deepest desires of our life. And so let me just ask you a question. It's a simple one, probably even painfully obvious. What are you most hungry and thirsty for in life? What are you most hungry and thirsty for in life? You know what the crazy thing is? I think that there are probably a lot of us who don't actually know the answer 
to that question? How do you even begin to, to find that out? You know, one of the fascinating things about hunger, and I even just mean like real hunger right now, is that, I mean, hunger is a powerful driving force. Hunger can get you to do a lot of things, but if you're busy, like if you're staying really busy, you get a lot of things going on, you can actually very easily be distracted from your hunger so that even though it's as powerful as it is, you actually don't notice it anymore. Same is true of some of our deepest desires in life. Like sometimes you just got to slow down long enough to figure out what it is that you're actually hungry and thirsty for. And listen, I get it. Life is full of challenges and we seem busier than ever before. I know a lot of us, it just feels like we're on autopilot all the time. But listen, even on autopilot, someone has to set the destination. What are we making ourselves so busy for? What are you really hungry for? There's another way you can find out. You can think about what you're willing to sacrifice. I don't know if you remember that, uh, that hierarchy of needs. There was that psychiatrist, uh, Abraham Maslow. He came up with this thing. I think a lot of us probably had to learn this maybe like in high school or in college. It was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And that the, it's like a triangle with different like levels on it. And the idea was that you will always sacrifice higher level needs for kind of lower level needs. At the top was like self-realization or self-actualization. At the very bottom, the base of this kind of pyramid was just the most basic physiological needs like food and water. We'll sacrifice other things in order to get the most basic things that we, that we need. And look, you know, there's been some valid critique of the model, but I think we get the idea. So here's a question. Every one of us makes sacrifices. When money gets tight, you need to rein the budget in a little bit. What's the one thing that never gets cut? What's the one thing that you will reduce your, your spending in every other place, but what's the one thing that never gets touched? Or when there's just too many good things to do, when the calendar and the schedule is too full, there's just too many good things to do, what's the one thing that never gets canceled? What's the one thing that every other plan gets canceled for. Follow that, and there's a good chance you'll discover what it is that you are most hungry for. That might help you if you didn't quite know how to answer that question, but some of you probably already knew the answer to that question, or at least you have a good guess. But you also know that if you're answering honestly, even if you were given that question maybe seven different times, none of the times you answered that question would you have actually said righteousness. I mean, maybe you would now. Maybe you would now, like, after we go around and, like, ask because you, do, you hear Jesus' words in the Beatitude. But apart from Jesus' help here in this Beatitude, the reality is, is that neither you or I would ever think in ten guesses that this ought to be the thing that we most hunger and thirst for. Why? Why is that? Like, how does that happen? Well, I think it happens the same way that a Christian can all of a sudden feel bored with the Christian life. I wonder if that might describe you this morning. Here's how I think it happens. We, we put our faith in Christ. 
We trust in him and we have confidence that we are forgiven of our, of our sins. We trust, even though we can't see this happening, but we trust that, he, that God declares us righteous and forgiven. We trust that he's given us the promise of eternal life, which we think of something that starts entirely later in the future. And so until we, until we die and go to heaven or until Christ returns, we tend to just kind of busy ourselves with the same sort of things that we think will make us happy here, which are the same sort of things that everyone else seems to be hungry and thirsty for, just a sort of nice, kind of good, comfortable sort of life. Nothing too extravagant, just something nice and relatively easy and comfortable. We live in a historical situation where a lot of us can actually attain that. Like we actually live in a place in human history where a lot of us can just exert some energy and effort and actually experience a little bit of that. And so we get filled up just enough on these other things so that we never actually really feel or experience the, the hunger and the thirst, the desire and the drive for something that is so much bigger and better and ultimately more satisfying than all that. Because of that, we're actually missing out. We're missing out on a, on a goodness and a, and a blessedness that we could actually have and experience in our lives right now. Listen, by way of application, I want to make a bit of a, a plug here for this season of Lent that is coming up here in the life of our church. Look, I know Lent is not something that we talk a lot about here in our church. It's not something that you hear in a lot of kind of Protestant evangelical churches, we tend to associate this with uh, maybe Catholics or other people. But the reality is, friends, is that Lent has a rich tradition throughout Protestant Christianity. It's just this time. It's a period of time, about 40 days leading up to Easter, where traditionally people, people pick things to fast from. Sometimes it's actually fasting, like choosing to not eat, or sometimes it's just Picking something that you really enjoy in life, something that brings a little bit of satisfaction to these cravings and feelings of, of hunger, something that might distract you from some deeper, real hunger and thirst. And so this year, what we've done, we've produced a, a Lent devotional. Again, I know it sounds like an, an announcement. It's not trying to be an announcement. Make sure you get one of those. If you haven't gotten one of those yet, on the way out today, take one. If you want to take an extra one to give away, like this is the last Sunday they're going out because this whole thing begins like this Wednesday. The reason why I'm saying this is this is not just some kind of cute little thing that we do. The point of this is not to get God to like you more or to give you what you want more in life. The whole point of this is to be intentional to create a sense of hunger in us so that we can actually slow down and stop and realize what are we truly hungering for. That's also why we've been encouraging to memorize these, these beatitudes throughout this series so that when you stop, when you feel that pang of hunger, you can bring your thoughts towards Christ and towards this vision of the true, good, flourishing, happy life that Christ is prescribing. You can turn all these beatitudes into, into a prayer when you feel that hunger and you turn your thoughts to Christ and you say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. You say, Lord, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness above everything else. Now listen, I know I need to move on. 
But let me just say a quick word to those of you who might, might feel like what I'm saying is a burden. There are some of you here this morning that you're like, yeah, I don't know what I'm most hungry and thirsty for, and, but all I can think about is how much my sin seems to be winning. I know some of you feel like that. It feels like no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you pray and read your Bible, there's just certain sins that just cling to you and life, and it feels like they own you and they are beating you up. And so you hear these words and you're like, how? How can I actually achieve this blessed life that Jesus is talking about by, by hungering and, and thirsting for righteousness when all it feels like is I just keep losing all the time? Let me encourage you that that very feeling that you have is actually an expression of the very thing that Jesus is talking about. It's actually an expression of a hunger and a thirst to actually be able to live out the thing that you know you don't have the ability and the power to live out. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that you need to see this morning. What Jesus is saying is that if you hunger for and if you come to him hungry and thirsty for it, he is telling you, he's promising you that he will satisfy it. He will satisfy it. That's the fourth word I want us to look in or to look at this morning, that word satisfied. Listen, what do you do if you feel like you're even struggling to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just that you know that you're not righteous in yourself, but you're struggling to even hunger and thirst after it. How do you get hungry again? You look at the promise of Christ. Listen to what he's saying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Literally, that word there is sometimes translated as fed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be fed. They will be filled up and they will be fed. They will be filled up with the very thing that they are hungry for. In that sense, they, they will be satisfied. Friends, the beauty of this beatitude is that God will give it to you. This is why you need to hear the words of Christ in these beatitudes as words of grace. Her words of grace. Listen, sometimes the reason why we're not so hungry for it is because we don't think that we'll ever get it, even if we try our hardest. And so we give up before we've even begun. But listen, if you're a Christian, if you have trusted in Christ, Everything that God is doing in you is to bring about this kind of life in you. And it begins even with the very moment of you becoming a Christian, that moment of you being justified, being declared righteous, not based on your own righteousness. In that very moment, what God is doing is attributing the righteousness of his son to you perfectly and, fu and fully so that God's righteous requirement of you is satisfied. And do you know what he promises? He promises that one day, 
One day when this whole thing gets wrapped up, his promise to you is that you will actually be completely, fully, perfectly, in every single way, you will actually really be righteous, as righteous as Christ. This is This is God's promise that those whom he justifies, he will glorify. He will one day bring into the full glory of his presence and he will outfit us for everything that we need to be in that presence, including perfect, real righteousness where you will only ever want to do and think and say and do what is right in God's eyes. Oh, what a wonderful thought. What a wonderful day to ponder. Peter says it this way in his second epistle. He says, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And God is promising that in Christ, you will dwell there too in perfect righteousness. Do you believe that? But here's the thing, in between the righteousness of our justification and in between between that and the righteousness of our glorification, God is interested in our sanctification in which he will actually produce in increasing and ongoing ways this real righteousness that he speaks of here. Listen, church, we need to be able to differentiate. Like You and I, we need to be able to differentiate between what God demands of us and what he desires to produce in us. And if you are a Christian, what God desires to produce in you is real Righteousness, a Christ-like character, a life that just desires increasingly more and more to do what God wants. Friends, this is completely consistent with the exact same kind of righteousness that Paul talks about. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans. Romans of all places, he says this in Romans chapter 6. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So now, he says, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Friends, this is the very thing that God desires to produce in you. He is not expecting you to do this on your own. He is not asking you to do this on your own strength. He is going to do this in you. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do that? Listen, if so, there's a sense of hope for you here. Never assume that who you are today is what you will be tomorrow. I know it's hard to believe this, but let me just ask you this. Like, do you believe that God made everything? Do you believe that God spoke the world into existence? Did God say, let there be light and there was light? And I know a lot of you were like, mm-hmm, yeah, I believe that. Did God find a way, make a way 
to purchase us, to pay the penalty of our sin fully on the cross in a, in a real and powerful and effective way? Did he do that? And I know many will say, well, yes, yes, I believe he did that. When Christ was dead, as dead as dead and was laid in the tomb and all hope was lost and God caused him to come back to life. He brought life from death. Do you believe that he did that? Many of you will say, yes, I believe that. So do you mean to tell me that God can do all that and yet he can't make you more righteous? Of course he can. He can put the actual life and virtue of his son Jesus into you. And if that's what you most hunger for, then there's good news. You will be satisfied. In fact, it's the only way you'll get satisfied. Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are those who hunger for satisfaction. He's not even asking you to aim for satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Show me what you hunger for, and I will show you what you will become. Those who deeply desire to do the will of God are the truly happy ones because God will give you what you desire. He wants you to hunger. He wants you to hunger and thirst for righteousness, not in the way that a skilled cook or chef hungers for a, a recipe that they could skillfully produce, no, but in the way in the way an infant thirsts for her mother's milk or the way a toddler hungers in his high chair, desperate for a parent to come and to fill them. And God himself is the good father who loves to give, who fills and satisfies through his son Jesus, the one who rescues us from our unrighteousness, who gives us his own righteousness, the one who makes us righteous, and will one day perfectly satisfy our souls in absolute blessed righteousness forever. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. Oh God, even now, in these next few moments of silence and quiet reflection before you, with the goodness and grace of your word and the power of your spirit, would you stir up in us this hunger for righteousness? And would you help us believe that we will be satisfied? We ask in Jesus' name.